Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by HealthTech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care. When I got to the hospital, they waited a few days until figuring out, no, it's really an emergency. So they did the surgery. And one of the people treating me basically said, like, oh, I'm a little nervous because it's the first time I'm doing this. Didn't make me very comfortable as a patient. The reason to do this project and to get the funding for it was really, can we build the first simulators where surgeons would say, wow, this is like doing the real thing. I mean, this is what we provide, this is the solution that we have, where you can train on a simulator, you can repeat, you can add complications, you can train specific situations, you can get objective feedback, all these things. And so, indeed, to reduce the amount of hours, to provide relevant training, that's where we believe simulation is a must. Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers, or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. Hey guys, just before the start of the episode, there's a couple of exciting things I wanted to share with you. The first is that the official webpage of the podcast is live, and you can visit it at www.impulsepodcast.com. You will have access there to all the episodes published so far and you'll be informed about the latest releases and activities from the show. At the same time, we also created an Instagram account dedicated to the podcast so we encourage you to follow our activities there at the account impulse underscore podcast. One other thing that I wanted to share with you, which may already be known to some, is that I'm running the podcast as a side activity to my work and Despite all the passion and the pleasure with which I'm running this project, it does take a substantial amount of my time and energy. That's uh, why I'd like to ask you a couple of things, which would all be of a massive aid to help me grow the podcast. So first, after listening to the episode and assuming you will like it, please share it with two persons you know and who you believe would enjoy it as well. Second... Please rate the show on your favorite streaming platform and leave a five-star review and a positive comment on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Last point, subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming platform and follow our activities on LinkedIn and Instagram. With that, I thank you very much for your help. I hope you will enjoy this new episode. All right, so good morning, Aimundo. First of all, Thank you for, for having me here at Vertimed's headquarters um, in this beautiful showroom surrounded by the, the surgical simulation systems you are developing here and that are being sold um, across the globe. It does remind me of um, of the B. Brown Academy in Berlin, um, where I had the chance to go a couple of times, part of my former job, where they had the training room for surgeons. 
And at the time, um, they were rolling out a device for laparoscopic surgeries with a visualization systems uh, with 3D functionality. So you could see what was happening inside the belly of the patients and really like feel the depth mm-hmm. of the tools you were using. And I thought it was quite impressive. And, and yeah, and there was this room in front of the Charité where there had like dozens of surgery beds uh, with models laying on them and yeah, which was serving as a training platform for, for that new product. Um, I believe laparoscopy is one of the surgery types that you are covering with your own systems, among many others. And I'm really interested in learning more about your journey with Redomed, how it started, um, how your systems are being developed and how they actually fit uh, into medical training programs. And um, But before we, we start our conversation, I'd like also to thank Alil Bava, with whom you already have a conversation uh, on the Inno podcast that he's hosting and who kindly put us in contact. So many, many greetings to him. And um, yeah, with that, I'd invite you, Raimundo, to, to present yourself. All right. Hello, Matthew. Indeed, welcome to Vertamed, and it's great to have you here. It's a pleasure to talk to you about all the topics you mentioned before. Myself, Raimundo, I'm CEO of Vertamed. I'm also co-founder of the company. Uh, we started the company in 2007. And indeed, excited to to tell more about what we do, what we have to offer, and, and how this came all about. So, can you can you tell us a bit about your background? Because I think you are uh, you studied electrical engineering at ETH, then you did a, a PhD in imaging analysis. Yeah, um, like how all of this tied into you know founding the company and going into this field of surgical simulation systems. So we're going way, way back, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few years. Indeed, I started uh, studying electrical engineering, uh, not knowing really anything about computers. Mm. I um, was like mid-90s and we didn't have one at home. So I learned up something about computers and then ended up going to this lecture about computer vision. And in there, there was something about medical image analysis. I always had an interest in healthcare and, and surgery, certainly also accelerated through a personal experience. I had a emergency appendix removal when, when oh. I was, um, I think, 19. 19. And uh, indeed, when I got to the hospital, they waited a few days until figuring out, no, it's really an emergency. So they did the surgery. And one of the people treating me basically said, like, oh, I'm a little nervous because it's the first time I'm doing this. Didn't make me very comfortable <laughs> as a patient. Yeah. And indeed, yeah. afterwards, I unfortunately had also an infection. So I had to go back to the hospital for a second ah. surgery, etc. So it wasn't the, the most exciting experience, mm-hmm. but certainly also personally, like further triggered this interest in healthcare and, and what could we actually do to improve it. Yeah. And so through this lecture in medical image analysis, I ended up doing a master thesis in Boston. I was working on, on diffusion tensor imaging. And when I, come ba- I came back, I, I went back to the professors and like, well, do you have anything to do in the field, a yeah. PhD that I could do? And luckily, for, he had many, many different projects mm-hmm. that he got granted at that time. And one of them was this surgical simulation. Okay. This, this project that, that really caught my interest right away. And on which, so what, what was the application at the time there? So interestingly, the, the application was actually hysteroscopy, so a gynecological procedure. Yeah. And, and the reason for that was that in the 90s, the lab and many other places had already tried to build simulators for laparoscopy. Mm. It turned out to be too complex, too difficult. Yeah. And so what came out of these projects was, let's say, more of a game like Pac-Man, where doctors would say, well, it's kind of interesting, but it mm. doesn't relate to the surgery. Yeah. And so the reason to do this project and to get the funding for it was really 
can we build the first simulators where surgeons would say, wow, this is like doing the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so really with that driving the relevance of the simulation, I think that there was a huge difference from the previous projects that globally, right? Not not just in Switzerland, in other countries as well, where indeed it was kind of like, okay, we try what we can do with the technology versus taking a very different stand of we want to make a simulator that is relevant, that resonates what surgeons need to do, how they learn, uh, and provides them with, yeah, the variations and the possibilities for learning. And indeed, in that context, we we actually didn't do just one PhD. Mine was the first out of almost 20 PhDs. Okay. And my task was only to create variable models. Mm -hmm. So that indeed, you would train different scenarios, different situations, different pathologies. And with that, again, drive the relevance of the simulation uh, because you're not just training one case and then when you learn it, you basically can do this case, (laughs) but you learn the actual surgery Mm -hmm. where you would have different patients, different tumors, different situations that you need to treat. Okay. And so that was very much in in an academic setting and and then you you had some time in, in consulting right before creating the company. So how does... um, was that a trigger for going into entrepreneurship or you had that in mind when you came out of the PhD? Yeah, maybe indeed it was a bit different, So, in, uh, but they're also mixing up different things, right? Yeah. So indeed I, I finished my PhD and then was thinking to continue an academic career. I went back to the US uh, to continue my research in the field yeah. and then realizing that's probably not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I really want to bring this to a, a level where people use it, where where it's going into the market. And there is a big difference between doing research and doing yeah. products mm-hmm. and selling products and being successful as a company. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I think the first time I asked whether we do a startup with this was shortly after my PhD. It didn't quite materialize, wasn't the right context, wasn't also such a priority, I would say, for, for universities mm-hmm. back then. Then in 2007, we sat down again remotely. I was in the US, yeah. the team here, uh, had an initial business plan. I was like, okay, let's go for it. Let's start a company. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I decided to stay on in the US and went to consulting. So we did, did two things in parallel. Okay, like, wow. We started a company here in Switzerland and I went into consulting uh, for personal reasons. I believe that indeed we wanted to build up my management backpack, if you will, mm-hmm. to learn management skills. Um, and then... Also for family reasons, we wanted to stay a bit longer yeah. in the US, but we definitely wanted to start a company here in Switzerland based off the research and the 20 PhDs and the, and the prototype that we had. Wow. So, so you did start, you did work for, it was McKinsey, right? For like yeah. four years. And in parallel, you were also like launching the company. Don't give me that much credit. <laughs> so in rea- no, no. What, what we did is like then that obviously we, we had more people and, and Stefan actually uh, raised his hand and said, like, I, I, I want to do this. I, I want to run this company. So Stefan mm-hmm. built the company. Okay. Right? He started it in 2007. And my role was a co-founder. And yeah. occasionally we would chat and see, hey, can I help you with anything? Is there an idea that you want to bounce off me, yeah. et cetera. But all credits to building up this company go to Stefan. Stefan, yeah. And and so in the 2010, I came back to Switzerland, stayed in loose contact with Stefan. I actually went from consulting to agriculture as well to build up what we call corporate digitization in a company. Yeah. And then at some point, Stefan approached me. He's like, hey, we should think about the strategy for this company and how we want to continue with it. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was the first time we actually sat down for a few days together to, to brainstorm and to work on a strategy. And both, I think we left both with the impression, hey, we can do this together way better. It's going to be more fun. It's going yeah. to be more energizing, et cetera. And that was really the moment where I decided to go back to the roots and actually join the company operationally. And so when you joined Avertimed, they had already one of their first surgical sy simulation system out or was it yes, still in yeah, the yeah. building? So as a company in 2007, when we started, the prototype that we had developed in research mm -hmm. was quite advanced. Yeah. And so a year later, we could already sell this product. And then in the following years, we expanded from gynecology to urology, from urology then to orthopedics, and then years, years later, actually to laparoscopy. To laparoscopy. Okay. Now, so so now you have all these specialties now, right? Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's that's impressive. I mean, I'm looking at the at the different systems. It's very very impressive. Um, yeah. The question I had was: um, Are those medical devices? No, they are no. actually educational devices, uh, and more like if you think about it as tools that you use yeah. to educate people they're not touching the patient yeah. they're really for handling and, and skills development for surgeons uh, we do have original instruments yeah so we take the instruments and indeed we modify them to work for the simulation we have patient anatomies and you see the different anatomies yeah. here in the room mm -hmm. different technologies but ultimately it's really remote removed from the patients on yeah. that it's an educational instrument and with that they're not medical devices exactly and then the regulatory process is very different and then you can get them to market much quicker indeed that's that's clearly a benefit mm -hmm. in that sense that we are not a regulated industry yeah um i think that over time that should change yeah right? what we care a lot about is that what we provide is relevant mm -hmm. and that indeed it develops skills that surgeons and medical staff need in the operating room that improve the treatment, that improve the surgery. Yeah. And therefore, the relevance is at the core of what we do. And, and so you can think and debate, actually, if that should be something that is regulated. It's not trivial to regulate, yeah. Yeah. Um, but certainly today it's not. Okay. And um, yeah, I have a question like regarding how do they fit currently in medical training programs and how are such systems perceived by by you know the people who are shape, like shaping the, the programs in the universities is that um is that already very well established still is it still very new and um yeah could you tell us a bit about that sure i think we see a, a very wide range of adoption right? and i think that there is really globally um indeed a, a big difference on mm. how things are implemented how they're endorsed how they're used yeah uh, so we're far from having a standard on a global level i think we can talk a bit about best practices about examples uh, oftentimes I, I think about this is almost like new year's resolutions so many people institutions would say yeah we want to have simulation and we need to have it etc and then to get to the funding is one thing, and then to institution, bring it to the institution, then having the program, and then ultimately really getting the residents and the people that need to train to yeah. actually train. Yeah. Right? And, and we see the numbers, and in our view, it's, it's far too low. Yeah. Right? The number of hours the people train should be massively higher. Mm -hmm. And I think that, indeed, today we're, we're probably in a, in a dilemma situation, if you will, 
Working hours should go down. Residents shouldn't be working 60, 70 hours, yeah. but actually a yeah. 40, 45 hour, depending on the region. Um, we want the quality to go up. Mm -hmm. So we want to have, ensure actually the quality of procedures of performance. Yeah. Um, and, and we want the risks to go down. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you do that? How do you yeah. condense the training? How do you provide these safe environments? And that's exactly what we're looking at. I mean, this is what we provide. This is the solution that we have where you can train on a simulator, you can repeat, you can add complications, you can train specific situations, you can get objective feedback, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. these things. And so indeed to reduce the amount of hours to provide relevant training, uh, that's where we believe simulation is a must. Mm -hmm. However, indeed, the, the degree in which it's implemented and endorsed varies massively. I mean, examples in the US where a hospital network that really needs to pay off malpractice cases out of their own budget yeah, uh, because they don't have an external malpractice insurance are way keener to provide training yeah. than if you have a malpractice insurance as external where there is actually less of an incentive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in Europe... We, we have countries where actually simulation is mandated by regulators. France has been pioneering this. However, there, there's also no checks and balances on this, on how much are you doing, on what kind of systems, etc. So it's a absolutely important, the right step in the right direction. Yeah. But it's not yet sufficient to say it's happening everywhere. Yeah. And... Um how do you, you you touched on you know the sort of evidence you need to guarantee in terms of you know the amount of um, training you provide and the impact on you know surgical outcomes and reduction of risks? How do you measure that? Like, are you also like running studies to 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 support these, or how how do you mm -hmm, tackle mm -hmm. that? There's different levels for this. So one is obviously let's say, traditional studies that are published on papers. And indeed, yeah. for more established projects, we have tons of those. Mm -hmm. In arthroscopy, where we've been actually long in the market, there is actually many institutions that have done studies yeah. with it. There is different types of studies, phase validity, construct validity. It gets very technical in a way. Mm -hmm. All of these actually, or many of these exist. Um, however, that doesn't necessarily translate that any institution says, ah, I saw this study, now let me train. Right. Yeah. There is more change management required at yeah. the institution, at the incentive level, in the curriculum, how residents are being trained, how much is expected of them. Mm -hmm. And so on a very pragmatic level, what we see working best is if the chief surgeon just says, you're not coming into my operating room if you're not completed yeah. courses and mm -hmm. reached a certain score. Yeah, That's mm -hmm. so far still the most effective one when there is a true commitment from the responsible people for the surgeries to say, I expect you to do this. Yeah. If you're not doing it, then you're just not entering the operating room. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. And maybe going maybe more to the, let's say the, the technical side of the, the development, like how do you, um, like what are the different key components or like components that are being shared between the different platforms that you have or are they completely different one from, from another? And yeah, what's the, process to to develop those mm -hmm. like you start with uh, the need from what surgeons tell you or i mean you i guess you also go like into surgery room to see how things are to 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 develop the model um yeah i'm very curious to see how how that works mm -hmm. maybe we describe first a bit how these things look like yeah right so indeed what we have is a platform 
we call it the caddy, which is really a, a base platform that consists of a base and a screen. Mm -hmm. right? And on top of that, uh, you have modules. Yeah. And so what you can see in the room here is a urology module, a laparoscopy module, gynecology modules, knee, shoulder, hip, ankle, etc. These are really anatomical models mm -hmm. uh, with different technologies in them. And then you have the instruments. Yeah. Right. You have the surgical instruments, be it an endoscope, a grasper, a shaver, etc., and oftentimes also pedals. Right. So what we do with this is for minimally invasive surgery, we create an exact replica of what you experience in the operating room. Yeah. Right. You have a, an anatomy that you want to treat, you have instruments, you look into a camera that is presented on a screen, and so on. So the interface between the user, the trainee, and the simulation is essentially the same as you experience in the operating room, <laughs> which is important to transfer skills and to make sure it's actually relevant. Yeah. You don't need to uh, imagine that you're doing the surgery with your devices. You're actually holding the device. <laughs> and, and to build the granular skills that you need to navigate the complexities, let's say, in the shoulder anatomy, it's the only way that you can actually experience it in such a way <laughs> unless you go to patients or cadavers. Yeah. And so you asked about the technologies in a way, in this caddy, we have a computer that does all this high-fidelity simulation and computations, etc. The anatomical models or the force feedback that is what you feel in your hands, yeah. right? there's, there's a wide range of technologies we actually have from active force feedback, what people oftentimes call robots, yeah. uh, to proprietary stuff that we developed. So the trokers that you see in the laparoscopy one is a development we did on our own to simulate the forces mm -hmm. to uh, indeed... In specific cases where the, the haptic feedback is so delicate and so nuanced, yeah. for example, in embryo transfer where you do a, a in vitro fertilization and then you implant the egg, to, to actually be able to navigate the different pathologies, we really had to create different plastic models mm -hmm. to represent this to actually provide the training effect. Yeah. So it's really a wide range. And then if you think about the medical devices and the instruments, we, we take them apart. We fill them with sensors. Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. that the surgeon does in the operating room that is, for example, opening the valve so the liquid flows, and that's replaced with a sensor. Yeah. So you have the same movement, but you track the data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's basically on, on the hardware or the interface side. And then in the systems, indeed, it's, it's a wide range. So I mentioned hardware, but then you need to have the simulation technologies, the bleeding, the cutting, the dissection of tissue, the, the grasping, right? Everyone yeah. can try it at home, grasp your tissue and deform it. How do you do this in an exact way for simulation purposes? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's all different pieces of software that we develop, that we bring together. We also work with uh, so-called gaming platforms. Yeah, And so uh, many of Everyone that has kids probably knows these gaming, yeah. these games, FIFA, whatnot. And, and they actually make huge progress. They have huge budgets mm -hmm. to advance the fidelity of these simulations. And so we want to piggyback on this. Yeah. And so for that, indeed, we have developed our tools to work with such platforms, but embed into it what is relevant for surgery. Mm -hmm. And then it goes beyond that. There also cloud solutions where the data is managed, where users can be managed, etc. So it's a wide technology stack. Yeah that indeed I think we can be proud to say we, we're pushing the edge, the innovation in all these layers, but also working with the right partners to actually scale this. Mm. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it seems, I, I would be curious to see, you know, how, I mean, I've seen the videos and I would invite people who are interested to look at the videos you have on the website where, yeah, you can see the images are super, super, feel very, very real, you know, they're like the graphics are, are incredible. Um, and so for the moment, these platforms are being sold, you mentioned in Europe, in the US, are they also being sold elsewhere? Absolutely. So it's it's a niche market. And so as we started the company, we from day one said we need to be global. Mm. We used to work with um, a company that today is actually a competitor to, to distribute them globally because we are just a small yeah. group. <laughs> and nowadays we, we have an office in China, we have an office in the US, we have individuals who represent us in 10 different countries. And then we work with a wide network of sales partners mm. uh, across the globe. So indeed, these systems are sold globally. Okay. And and the biggest market that you have for the moment, is it in Europe? It's, I would say I it's mean, split between US and Europe. US and Europe. And, and China actually contributes also substantially. The we, we also, I mean, as a company, we sell both to... In, training institutions, teaching hospitals, as well as medical device companies. Yeah. And indeed for them, it's about introducing or showing how their procedures work, mm -hmm. how their specific devices work. So it's a customization of the simulation to a specific device or a medical robot as well. Yeah, okay. And um, yeah, I was wondering whether, I mean, to the extent that you can share, what are the, the next um, or the current, you know, focuses you have is it on developing appli new applications beyond the scope that you're covering now is it to improve the current platforms you have i mean i guess it's a bit of both absolutely um, it's a mm -hmm. bit of both i mean on one end i think the work that we're doing to make sure this is institutionalized yeah and indeed the to the benefit of residents and hospital systems is crucial so we're putting a lot of effort to, to work with medical societies mm -hmm. in Europe, in the US mainly. Um, but then also we have a huge program here in Switzerland to over the next four years, really make sure it's fully embedded mm -hmm. in the education of surgeons. Yeah. And with that, I mean, there's a large program. There's many partners, uh, St. Gallen, Canton Spital St. Gallen and Lausanne, mm -hmm. Chief in Lausanne and Vertimed are in a way leading this, this effort. Where, where we're really focusing on how does this actually work on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah. How do you get students to train and really make the progress so that it becomes a standard? So that's that's one of the things that I find super important. It has less to do with the technology, obviously, yeah. but yeah. has to do with the adoption of it. Mm -hmm. The other one, in, when it comes to the technology, absolutely we're driving the innovation. Mm -hmm. And there is keywords like machine learning, uh, working with data, accelerating actually the, the learning curve uh, on a data level, but then also the underpinning technologies and how we can actually improve them and scale them. I'm not going to go into the detail yeah, of those, of course. <laughs> but I, I think that there is actually fascinating work going on there. And then when it comes to applications, something that we started more recently following our efforts in laparoscopy is robotic surgery. Uh, that's clearly something that we expect, or the world expects to be Come more and more predominant and prominent yeah. across disciplines. And actually, it's uh, some exciting work that is happening and some exciting partnerships that we have also with some of these robotic companies to drive this forward, both on the education side, yeah. 
but then also on the further development of these robots and technologies. Yeah, that I agree. It's very interesting. We had, a, I think it was on the second episode, I had a, the conversation with uh, Lucien Blondel from Quantum Surgical company mm-hmm. in France, you may know who they also had founded MedTech that got acquired by Simo Biomed. So yeah, it's done. I mean, I'll, I'll, I think it's a very fascinating field. Um, yeah, but going like coming back to what we were just mentioning, if there was like something that is not technically feasible yet and that would benefit the, the platforms that you are managing, what would that be like? Is there like a particular thing that you think would kind of like really improve even more what you are, what you have now, um, but due to like technical limitations, you cannot implement it? It's it's a fascinating and interesting question. I think that from a technology perspective, I feel that probably 90, 95% of what is needed, we have. Yeah. And and we actually have these technologies, we can master them. There's tremendous potential to accelerate these things. And so mm. actually I would we'll be looking into, can I actually have a larger team to do things yeah. faster? But from a science perspective or a research perspective, really a lot of it is available. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about, I mean, part of it is company secrets. It's how we do it, but it's not that I'm, I'm missing a core component. Yeah. On the other side, there is obviously huge potential when it comes to machine learning mm-hmm. and the possibilities there. We've worked with ETH Zurich already for five years now on, yeah. on research projects in this area. And indeed, we see first results that are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, here, for example, where you have an algorithm that actually learns to navigate the camera on its own. Yeah. And it learns it on its own. So you just tell him what you need to do is navigate the camera properly, Mm -hmm. does millions and millions of iterations, and ultimately you have something very stable, which is really behaving like you want it to as a surgeon. And so here we have initial results that are fascinating. Uh, Again, I don't think it's necessarily that the technology wouldn't be there, but that indeed we need to work with the technology and make it relevant. Yeah, and that, and that's what I think is actually the core of, of our company to make sure we can use these technologies, and make sure what we derive from them is really relevant for surgery for surgical education. Okay, and going back to the the example you mentioned at the very beginning, where you had to go through surgery, and the doctor that you that you had was quite new in the field, apparently. Um, is that? Um, I mean, did you receive from surgeons the the request to build such systems because they were feeling like they were lacking, you know, training, or that's something you anticipated that they would potentially lack? Mm-hmm. Actually, it goes back to a question I think I didn't quite answer before. You asked it as well: How do you work with surgeons? Yeah, and indeed, uh, in all the disciplines that we work in. We don't have surgeons hired that work solely for the company, yeah. but in all cases, we work very closely yeah. with surgeons. Right? So in some cases, uh, it's public actually, in, and we work with Anna, an American society in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. They have subgroups that are dedicated, for example, for the knee or for the shoulder, groups of experts that we work with on a close basis to hone the metrics, the scores, the assessments, the how the, the surgery works in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so that's continuously to developed. 
when it comes to new applications and new procedures, it always starts with, okay, where is the technology? What can we do with it? Do we have the funding? And do we have the right partner? The surgeons, the people that actually are experienced in this yeah. to work with. And I think to your question, um, whether they come and say, well, we desperately need something in this and this area, I would argue that on a global scale, you will always find surgeons, healthcare providers that are very keen to use new technology and innovation in a meaningful way. Yeah. And so that's, that's absolutely oftentimes the case that they approach us. And so then it goes back to, can we do it from a technology perspective? Do we have the funding and resources? Yeah. And, and is that the right partner to work with? And yeah, indeed, that's, that's oftentimes how things come up. The other bit is also the medical device companies. They clearly also have specific devices they may want to bring to market. Yeah. And uh, in some cases, even up to the way to show it to the regulatory bodies, how will this device work in reality, but showed and illustrated in a simulation. So it's, it's a wide range of things that we actually have done also with medical device companies. And and the different device you, you mentioned on the platforms you're using, you have like different devices that are actually real ones. Mm -hmm. So I believe these are not developed internally, right? You take them from external partners, you put the sensors in them, and mm -hmm. then you yeah. adapt them for the surgical Correct. platform. Correct. So so indeed it's an original instrument. Sometimes we create a bit more generic versions. Yeah. But the look and feel is the same, even all the way to the weight and how heavy they are. We make sure it's actually really replicating something that you will experience in the operating room. Mm -hmm. But indeed, the yeah, the key point is that the haptics, the touching, the handling, where your fingers go, right? all of these things are crucial to do right so that indeed it's relevant when you do the surgery. It's very different if I have a game controller in my hand yeah. and then I pretend that this game controller is a knife mm -hmm. versus if I hold a knife or if I have a grasper that acts um, for... Non-surgeons is basically a scissor that you open and close. Um, how does that feel? And there's hundreds of different models for those. But you need to have something that is representative of what you have in reality in the operating room. And and what's the? I mean, I if I like consider myself like as a, uh, I put myself in the shoes of a new or a young, you know, mm -hmm. surgeon in, uh, in training, and I get to test these uh, these systems like. What's their first reaction? Are they like super impressed? They're like, "Oh, this is exactly you know what we are what we are doing in real." Um, I'm I'm quite curious to to learn about what their feedback is. So hopefully, if somebody's just starting and they get on the simulator, they're not saying it's like real yeah, because exactly. they shouldn't have done it in real. <laughs> However, uh, indeed, I think that what's what's awesome is the young generation, obviously, very much open yeah. to technology, mm -hmm. using of the technology, and I think what they really appreciate is also the the closeness to what is in reality, right? So oftentimes it's like, well, I love it that actually I can try these instruments, that I can experience how it feels to go into the knee or into mm -hmm. the body, um, what happens if it's bleeding, or why does it bleed when I cut there? because I don't want to experience this when I go on the patient for the first time. Yeah. Right? So I think that indeed the young generation intuitively gets it and gets fascinated by it. Uh, and, and that's obviously also for us super energizing. There are situations of, um, that we're getting more and more as we actually go into more sophisticated procedures, more complicated procedures that are really not trivial. It can take 40 minutes and you have maybe 80 steps that you need to do in the proper sequence 
right? Put the thread here, push it there, then pull the other thread and not make a mistake and confuse them. Super difficult. Mm -hmm. That can be frustrating for somebody to learn. It's I, I would almost say like if you have to play piano piece yeah. and all of a sudden you go into and want to play a big concert, I'm sure there are frustrations on the way there. <laughs> uh, so those obviously are human and natural. They come along as well uh, in, in more complex skills, if you will. Yeah. But I think that that's really also part of this change management to make sure that, that there's a training continuum, that there is a curriculum, that there is ways to get you to build up these skills. Yeah. And that's also the concepts that we work very closely with the surgeons to make sure that the concepts that are implementing in these simulators are, are optimized to develop skills, core skills, advanced skills, deal with complications, yeah. and then ultimately do the full procedure. Mm. I see. And and when you do these training, um, when you give these trainings, is it like in which setting is it? Is it at the hospital where, you know, we have the proximity with the actual surgical environment? Is it at universities where you have, you know, people try, you, you put people in the room with all the different systems and you, and there's like, I don't know, days of training on them. How, how does that work? Indeed, all of what you describe exists. Okay. Um, so as an illustration, some hospitals have training centers mm -hmm. right, where they have indeed our systems, other systems, mannequins, etc., to train different staff. Right? And then there is a schedule and people go there to actually pro mm. perform their trainings. There is hospitals where they will put it in the room where the residents have their office just to make it as simple as possible for them to go onto the simulator <laughs> and spend time with it. We also work with societies. Um, I think one really beautiful example is the German society AGA, they actually honed a course. They, they worked years on identifying the best exercises and the combination between providing a lecture and providing the hands-on training and mixing these things so that you have a three-day condensed course yeah. with them that combines lectures and, and simulators. Conferences, many conferences actually offered education days or education environments, yeah. medical device companies, maybe when they visit the surgeon. So there are really many, many different environments where this is happening. Okay. And um, maybe it goes more into like a business question, but the systems that you are selling, are they acquired by customers? Are they being leased um, because they want to use them for a certain amount of time just to complete the necessary mm -hmm. training? Our business clearly is about selling these simulators mm -hmm. as well as then providing service and support associated with them. Okay. And that service and support is from yeah, maintaining the system, repairs, yep. over to helping you define a curriculum mm -hmm. and providing you training and education support all the way to fleet management where actually some of yeah. the companies say look take care of the fleet we just want to tell you where and when we need them so again here a, a range of services that we have mainly it's really about selling the systems mm -hmm. uh, we have leasing solutions etc but in reality ultimately most model. institutions prefer to to acquire them as well mm. i see okay um Yeah, I think we've, I mean, we've covered a lot of different elements that you, you've talked about how you, how you came to this field, um, how these very complex systems are being developed and, um, and yeah, a bit we touched on as well, a bit on the commercial model and also the, the very important part about the change management you mentioned and how, yeah, let's say the, the effort it takes to, um, 
to get these systems in integrated into the, the medical practice and the curriculum. Um, I mean, I would be, I'd be very interesting, you know, to, to test one. I think it's, it's, it looks, and we can do this right after. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, so at the end of, you know, at the end of each episode, um, I, um, ask a couple of frequent questions to the different guests. Um, the first one I would have for you, Amundo, would be what resources would you recommend us to check out in, in order to know more about the, the field in which we evolve, be it books, publications, websites? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you're academically interested in the field, I, I think the Society for Simulation in Healthcare yeah. is, is probably a place. There are also technology conferences, MIKAI, uh, maybe one of those, uh, but there, there are more of them. Yeah. It tends to be very scientific and, and numbers-based and so on. If, if you want to know a bit more in general where this is going, I think that indeed the project I mentioned before that we launched here in Switzerland, it's, it's a very large one over four years with many partners involved. We have a website, surgicalproficiency.ch, okay. uh, that I think gives you a, a very good glimpse into what is happening and where this is actually going and uh, obviously focus on Switzerland, but those things uh, is, uh, should be exported at some point as well. So that, that's probably a resource as well. And then just Googling surgical simulation and, and you'll find some interesting videos. <laughs> All right, I'll put the link in the description. Um, that brings me like another question, which is not part of the recurring questions, but the systems that you have, are they built or manufactured in Switzerland? Yes. Oh. Um, now, I think here again, it's it's something that the quantities aren't that large, so we're not really having a production. It's more of a, uh, an assembly, yeah. putting things together with some specific pieces that are handcrafted and made by mm -hmm. us. And so therefore, indeed, quality, reliability, and so on are, are important to us, and we keep it here in Switzerland, indeed. All right. I'll go back to the, the other recurring questions. Um, could you share with us an anecdote from your work which made you realize the, the impact you were having on patients' lives? I think in, in your particular case, it's indirect because you're training surgeons that are you know, in contact with patients and your systems are not directly touching the patients, as we mentioned. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a, let's say, not-so-beautiful one and a beautiful one. Mm -hmm. The not-so-beautiful one, I think I'm, I'm really oftentimes shocked as you go into conferences and, and you actually have so-called experience and expert surgeons do things on the simulator that you're really saying, I hope that never happens to a patient. Mm -hmm. Trivial mistakes that, I mean, I learned 20 years ago during my PhD, you don't cut when you push. Yeah. You always cut towards you when you're in the body because you could perforate yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you need to repair and you see them doing these trivial mistakes. That's, that's the part where I'm like, I hope this doesn't happen. And by the way that we teach this and by the way of simulation, we will prevent these mistakes. Yeah. That's one. I think the, the most beautiful story that comes to mind is uh, we also do have, I mean, I mentioned we have simulators across the world. There is one actually in an institution in Togo where the owner of this institution was very keen to get simulators to advance education in the region. Yeah. And the surgeon or future surgeon to be that is most active on the system and apparently needs to take a bus for five hours 
to get to the simulator and practice. Yeah. And he's the one that is practicing the most. And so I really wish him to be one of the most successful surgeons <laughs> in that part of Africa in the future. But it's, it's really energizing to hear this and to see actually, yeah, I want to hone my skills. I will use this to the best and to the maximum possible. And that touches on the part that we, we haven't mentioned before, but it's, I think, in a way, your systems can, you know, provide an, an equitable a balance in the access to, you know, medical training in, in certain regions, for example, where, you know, I guess mm, in Africa, absolutely. the standard of training for surgeons is different than in the US or in Switzerland, for example. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's something that obviously can be made available everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the standards that we put in into the systems and the courses just, are the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. so absolutely. <laughs> um, who would you suggest as a, as a potential future guest for the podcast and, and why? I think if you, if you want to stay in this field, I think there are actually some surgeons I could recommend here in Switzerland mm -hmm. uh, that are very passionate about education and how to use technology in education and advance that further. Uh, here, Bruno Schmid in St. Gallen or Dieter Hanloser in Lausanne come to mind. Okay. If uh, you want to go into other areas in healthcare, I would definitely recommend my friend and colleague, Melanie Ariger. She founded Avelo. They, they actually are a startup close by, next door to next us, door. Uh, where they are actually developing a diagnostic device for deep respiratory diseases. And uh, it's fascinating what they're doing. Great. Then if you can put us in contact, it would be, Absolutely. Would be awesome. Very happy to do so. <laughs> um, how can we get in touch with you over LinkedIn, per email? Indeed, um, email is always the best. Yeah. Um, indeed, my first name, dot last name, advertimet.com, raimundo.advertimet.com. <laughs> Um, obviously, the website vertomed.com is there to to explore more what we're doing. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out. Great, I'll put the link in the description as well. Um, is there anything you you'd like to add before we we wrap up? Well, thank you for all the questions. I hope this gave a bit of a glimpse into what we do, and, and indeed also illustrating how it's important to to make sure the technology is relevant. Yeah for education, not just any technology, but make sure what you do is actually having a training impact and how important it is, this effort to, to really make sure it's embedded and, and becomes a standard mm -hmm. everywhere so that everyone can benefit from it, including the patients. Yeah, you know, like in the previous episode we recorded with Navi Dejas from, from MindMaze, uh, I mean, they, I, I believe you're aware of what they're doing. Um, so they do rehabilitation through, through gaming with... Um, virtual reality and um and he was saying he was insisting on that point that it's it's not about tech you know you need to have something meaningful and yes. and it's not having you know the fanciest technologies and the most complicated systems that that's actually making the greatest impact mm -hmm. so no but thank you so much for your time for for having me um i've learned a ton of things and yeah i really wish you the best for for everything you had with with vertimet thank you very much matthew thank you Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. 
Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions, or suggest potential guests. Thanks, and see you in the next one.